Welcome to Church Project. Uh, we're glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, uh, you're here for a good, good service. We're going to have a great time. Uh, we don't always have a horse trough up front, but we have a horse trough up front today. We're going to have a big celebration later on towards the end of our gathering. We're having a child dedication. We're having baptism. I know we have a lot of family and friends that have come here to be part of that, and so we're glad that you're here. My message today, you should be pretty excited, is going to be pretty short. Everyone's like, yeah, all right, okay. Uh, So if you have your Bible, open it up to James chapter 3, verses 13 through uh, 18 is what we are going to read. If you did not bring a Bible, there's one on the rows next to you, and there are Bibles on the lamps on each side. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you, so you can have it. Yep, free of charge. We're giving away Bibles today. And in that blue Bible, you can find our passage on page 700. So once again, James chapter 3, verses 13, page 700 of the blue Bible. Let me read this passage today for us. It says this, and this is, this is James, and, and he's addressing the church. This is just a few years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the church is now meeting in isolated pockets, and, and it's an exciting thing. A lot of cool things are happening, but as James um, looks at the, the church, he has a lot of instruction for the church, because already, just a few years into this thing called Christendom, a few years into this thing called disciples, they already start bickering and fighting and laughing. Last week, if you were here, we we talked about the tongue and how powerful the tongue is. And so James is looking at the church, and he's writing a letter, and it's an instruction to the church. It's an instruction that says, hey, this thing that we call our faith, this Christianity thing, is it matching up with our works? Like, are we speaking it? Are we living it? Is it, is it real? Or are we just, is this just like something we're saying and, and we move on throughout Monday and Saturday doing whatever we want? And James is looking at the church. And I imagine as he's writing this letter and as he's talking to him, he's a little heartbroken. Like he's excited because this gospel message, this relationship with Christ has saved him. It's, it's turned him around. Jesus was his half-brother. James didn't believe in Jesus until, shocker, his brother died and rose from the dead. That would, that would be cause to believe, right? That this is the Messiah, and it's changed James, and it's changed the disciples of this time. And, and, and so it's with passion he's writing, and it's with passion he's part of the church. But also, I think it's with a little heartbreak that he has to write the church these instructions. So last week we looked at the tongue. This week, look in verse 13, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peaceful or peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, excuse me, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
As I look at this passage, I see, man, look at, look at the two options that we have here. Look at them side by side and just go, I wonder what option you would choose to go for. Would you go for the first half of what we're talking about or would you go for the second half of what we're talking about? And James opens up and he says, who of you is wise and understanding? Daily, I find myself in tension of, God, what is the wise thing to do? Do you? Daily, I find myself in the tension of, God, what's the wise thing to do in this moment? I I haven't seen these in a while, but Grandpa reminded me this morning of those bracelets, WWJD. Anyone anyone still sporting one of those? All right, no one? We should probably bring those back. Like, I think that's just a good way of almost calling on the wisdom of God, saying, what would Jesus do? Like, what would you do? What would you say? How would you live? Uh, so maybe we should bring those back, Grandpa. But I, I, I daily find myself in tension of, oh, God, what is the wise thing to do? As I've, I've grown in life and, and I I've, and I've desire to love God more and I desire to have my life reflect the goodness and character of God, I am reminded daily that the daily office of meditation and the weekly rhythm of Sabbath is imperative to my walk as a Christian. I want to say this again. The daily office of meditation and the weekly rhythm of Sabbath rest is imperative to my walk as a Christian. Some of us think, And on my worst of days, you'll encounter me having woken up and hit the ground running. Not considering what God has. Not considering what God's doing, what he's asking, how he's moving in my life. On the worst of days, you'll find me there. On the worst of weeks, you'll find Aaron Havens frazzled. Because I haven't taken a Sabbath rest to just thank God for what he's doing. For who he is. And to be lazy. That's kind of cool. Christians, it is imperative if we are going to be wise and understanding that we have daily office of meditation where we're praying to God and we're opening the scripture and we're reading in it and we're soaking in who God is and we're listening and we're tuning our hearts to Him and our minds to Him. It's imperative that we have that daily office in the weekly rhythm of Sabbath so we will know wisdom and we will have understanding. God, I have no idea what to do in this scenario. What would you do? Hey, if you've ever found yourself in that, maybe tomorrow morning you'll find yourself in that spot where you're like, I don't know what to do. God, what's the wise thing to do? Rest assured, that's common. All of us are find ourselves in that spot. You're not alone. Even the apostles Even the early church in Acts 15, 28, if you read it, there's this weird theology that happens in a few words that always makes me scratch my head. And and in Acts Acts 15, 28, it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like they, They didn't know what to do. Like, God, what do we do in this moment? And right there in Acts 15, it says, and it seemed right to the Holy Spirit that we would do this. What does that say from these godly early church um, leaders that was happening? It's like sometimes we're not going to know what to do. We're going to wake up tomorrow and we're not going to know exactly what to do. And we better position ourselves out of the daily office of meditation and a weekly office of Sabbath where we're tuning our hearts and our ears to God Almighty. Because there just may be a situation this week 
where you're not going to know what to do. And if we've tuned our heart to God, and we've taken the time to listen to Him, and to align ourselves with Him, it's then boldly we can say, it seemed right to God and the Holy Spirit that I would act this way. As I reflect the character of God, I like this, this first verse a lot because it talks about me a lot in this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I, I'm not sure about you, but hum, the more that I know, the more that I actually know. I'm an educated guy now. I'm two classes away from, from graduating from seminary. Woohoo! Yeah, we're going to have a party. I feel like I'm graduating knowing less than when I entered. Uh, do, you, do you ever find that in your profession and the thing that you do in the study? You, think and go, you, you come in thinking, God, I got this figured out. Like, man, I've, 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 I've been a pastor for you know, 15 years before I even entered into seminary. I got this down. Whew! And then now I'm graduating going, I don't know anything. Like, I know, God, you're good. I do know that. Like, there are a few things I know. But the more that I learn, the less that I actually know. And, and I like this first verse that humility comes with wisdom. Have you ever sat with a sage? An older, wiser man or woman? Grandpa's my sage. I get to sit with him every Tuesday. It's beautiful. The wisdom that pours out from the men and women that are deeply grounded in God and know the character of God. And they're full of wisdom. And I guarantee they're also full of something else. Humility. You thought I was going to say something else. They're full of humility. And it's like we learn who God is more and more and we fill our mind with intellect and our heart just comes alive and we realize that this is about a relationship with God. And though we know a lot and though we've studied and though we've gone to seminary and though we've done our homework and though we've memorized our our Bible verses, all incredible things that helps us to, to reflect the character of God more, though we've done all that, we realize we don't really know. We just have a relationship with God. Wisdom comes from proper use of exegete. Yeah, I say that word. Okay, let's talk about that. One of the things that we do at Church Project is we open up the Bible, and we go verse by verse, and we let the Scripture speak out truth to us. Eisegesis is a way of studying where you you just kind of go, God, I want to make a point. Let's find some Bible verses that makes a good point. Man, I can create a good old whatever. Eisegesis. You speak into the scripture, exegesis. You let the scripture speak truth to you. Okay? This is the study type that we do. That's why we go verse by verse. We want the, the scripture to speak out to us. And so let me re-say this. Wisdom comes from proper use of exegete. Where are you at work? What are you doing? How should I respond? As Christians, we should exegete every situation. We should go to work and say, God, what are you already doing here? God, what are you asking of my family here? God, what goals and dreams have you already given me? Like, you're sovereign in my life. You're already moving. I don't need to create this grand plan and ask you to join me. You're already moving. God, what can I do to exegete the circumstances of my life? In all aspects, 
the way that I speak, where I go, how I live, our prayer should be that God speaks to us and we align ourselves with him. That is true wisdom. I think back in the early part of James, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Sign me up. I lack wisdom. And I ask, God, would you please give me wisdom? God, I pray over all of us today that you would give all of us wisdom. God, we ask that from you. And we know, and your word says in James 1.5, that you give generously to all without finding, without finding fault. And it will be given to us. So, God, we humbly ask for more wisdom. We want to know more and more of you. In your name we pray. Amen. As I look at this passage, it really is broken up in two categories. The first category, that's the icky category. The second category, I'm like, God, align my life with that. And the first one is characteristics of worldly wisdom. And it's almost vices. And so let's, let's read this first part, the icky category. I like that word today. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by, that, by their good life and deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Great. I love that. Then we get to verse 14. But, but, if you, harder, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You know what that means? It means actually stop an act that is already in the process. Like, stop that act. Do not harbor bitter, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is unearthly, unspiritual, demonic. In verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. That's not the type of life that I want. That's not the type of wisdom that I want. But that is an option. And that option was called the characteristics of worldly wisdom. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, disorder, every evil practice. I don't want that. I want the wisdom that comes from God and understanding that comes from God and humility that comes from God. When I think of worldly wisdom, I think of Romans 8, 13 through 14. And this is what it says. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Pretty straightforward. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons in God. And I pray this over us, that we as a church are led by the Spirit of God. That we are sons and daughters of a king, led by the king. That we exegete every situation. And we let God speak his truth and move our lives as we align our lives with him. That's the kind of wisdom I want. Amen? My voice cracked. I must be going through puberty again. We look at, though, at the second half, characteristics of godly wisdom and the virtues of godly wisdom. And the key attribute to this, and, and it's right in the first verse that we're looking at here, the key attribute is that godly wisdom is humility. Show me a man or a woman that is proud, and I will show you a man or a woman that is stupid. Because they think they've got it all figured out. The more we learn, the more we know we need to learn. The more we find about, out about God, the more we realize we don't know about God. He's all powerful.
powerful. He's all loving. He's everywhere at all time. Our minds can't even comprehend him. At best, we get glimpses of him. At best, we get glimpses of him. You know what that makes me do? It makes me long for the day that we are continually forever with him in paradise. Characteristics of godly wisdom. Look through your verses here. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, righteousness. In essence, you know what James is painting a picture of us to do? Live a life like Jesus did. We see Jesus in his leadership, and what do we see? We see Jesus lived servant leadership. He lived to serve others. In Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28 says this, But whoever would be great among you must uh, be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived servant leadership, full of humility, compassion, love, wisdom, and understanding. I pray that our lives reflect the same. As Christians, and we talked about this last week, as Christians, we acknowledge God as our Savior. We say, God, thank you for saving me, for redeeming me, for plucking me from the gates of hell. Thank you, God. But we have to take it a step further. And we say, God, thank you for being our Savior. But is he the Lord of our life? Does he dominate every aspect of our life? Does he have every aspect of our life? Our words, our giving, our actions, the way that we speak, our wisdom. God, please be Lord of our life. This passage, I guarantee, if you take it, can keep you busy all week long. You get all your fancy Bible study tools. You can find a ton of free concordances online and and all sorts of Bible study tools that will take you into Greek and you can feel really smart, take you into Hebrew. and I mean, you can, you can grab this and run with study all week long on the words that are contained in this passage. And in fact, I encourage you to do so. The more that you're going to sit with God and the more that you're going to study and ask Him to give you wisdom, the more you're going to come alive in this passage, the more it's going to take root in your passage. Church, do so. But I want to point out a few things. And I'm almost done. That was quick for me, huh, Chad? Verse 17 says this word pure. Wow, pure. Just stop. Stop. Look at that in its context and pray about that in its context. But pure, the term hagnos, aren't you impressed with that wisdom? The term hagnos has the same Greek root as holy, hagois. I pronounced it wrong. It implies that it is, a free, that it is free from ethical defilement. Are our lives free from ethical defilement? Are they pure? Like you can run with studying and looking at different verses and cross-referencing the Bible with this word and God will speak truth into you in big ways just with this one word. When I think of this pure word, I think Psalms 19.14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May my words be pure. Amen. Verse 18, here's a good word, peace, or peaceable. For those of you that really like words, you're going to have fun studying this this week, okay? House churches, you're going to have a lot of fun in this. Okay, peaceable. Uh, this is a Greek term, I, I really butchered that one, so who cares? 
Um, anyone know how to pronounce that properly? No? Okay. We'll keep going. It was used in the Septuagint and translated um, uh, the Hebrew term shalom. Now, I know that word. Shalom. Peaceable. Shalom. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And as this scripture is read in light with the scripture that we're studying today, when you encounter that situation tomorrow that you have to go, what would Jesus do? And you want to live a life of understanding and wisdom. You pause in that moment and pray for shalom. You pray for God to reflect his character out of you. You pray peace over that moment, and you pray wisdom out of that moment. Shalom. Peace be with you. God transcends all understanding. He will guard our hearts. He will guard our mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I am the shalom. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, and and my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Shalom be to you. It's, It's another cheesy saying. You've seen the bumper sticker. No Jesus, no peace. N-O, N-O, no Jesus, no peace. Or, no Jesus, no peace. K-N-O-W, K-N-O-W. Truth. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Shalom. We get to live lives full of pleasing fruits. Church, I want to pray a couple passages over you today before we get into this celebration. Here's a blessing over all of you, over me. Straight out of Scripture. You know it's going to be a good blessing because it's straight out of Scripture. I'm not adding to this. Will you let your heart and mind receive this blessing today? Will you sit in shalom right now? Will you let God teach you and love you? For some of us in this room, we don't even have a relationship with God. Maybe this is the moment that his peace will transcend all understanding. His peace will overwhelm you. His love will overwhelm you today. So church, will you receive this? It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Amen. Our faith must not rest in the wisdom of the world, human philosophy. But our faith must rest in the power of God displayed in the life of Jesus Christ as we reflect his character. I'm going to ask us, if we would, just to close our eyes, and I want to pray over us. Just take a moment of shalom right here, a moment of peace.
soften your heart and your mind. Just quietly to yourself, even with your, if you're comfortable with it, just hold your hands out in front of you in a submissive stance with your palms open, saying, God, I want to receive what you want to show me today. I'm willing to receive whatever it is you want to show me. But also in those hands, you can place things that you're holding on to too tightly. Maybe it's anxiety, depression, worry, fear. Maybe it's your wisdom versus his wisdom. Whatever God is showing you in this moment, church, would you place that in your hand and say, God, please take this from me. This has become an idol in my life. I've worshipped this. It's become more about me than about you. Please take that away. And the moment he takes that away, it fills you deeper, deeper than you've ever known. with His love, his character, his Holy Spirit makes you more like himself. So in this place, God, would you speak to us? How can we align our lives with you? God, please make us more like you. We pray to be men and women of humility. We pray for the wisdom that only comes from you, God. May we live lives that drip of good fruit. Drip of good fruit. Shalom. May shalom be our identity. Peace. God. May we enter a room and shalom be there. Because you go with us everywhere that we go. I pray this week we literally change the environments wherever we step because you step into the room. Shalom. Righteousness, humility, peace, understanding, wisdom. God, when we speak and act, May humility and shalom go before us.